Our Father, we thank you that you give us a hope that is beyond this world. That there is an eternal home that we can look forward to when our faith is in you. And this is such good news on many, many levels, including because our world is so messy and broken. At times painful, at times heartbreaking. So Lord, we're thankful for the hope that you give us. But Lord, you also give us a mission to fulfill in this lifetime, on this earth. The mission is to be fulfilled in large part through the work that you're doing through the church, your people on this earth, representing you. Yet, Lord, we look at the world around us and we even look within the church and there is so much confusion and so much doubt about what is the church? Is the church even relevant? Is it even good for our culture any longer? And so, Lord, I pray that today and through the course of this series in the book of Acts, that you open our eyes and understanding in fresh ways to see with clarity who you are calling the church to be, what you are calling us to do, so that we will be faithful to our calling and faithful to the one who calls, that is, Jesus. And so we lift up this time in his name. Amen. Now, from a human perspective, the beginning of Christianity did not look very promising, again, from a human perspective. Especially if you look at the beginning of Christianity through the lens of modern marketing or best practices in business. I mean, if you look at Jesus himself, he was quite impressive. Yet at the same time, I think, for instance, of how Jesus predicted his death was coming soon. That generally is not very good messaging coming from the founder of a movement. That generally has the effect of scaring people away rather than drawing them in. And you look at the leadership team that Jesus gathered around him. Best practice for developing a leadership team would say, you know what, you want to gather people who are smart, people who are well-respected, or at least who are up-and-comers. You want people who are politically savvy to be able to navigate the difficult circumstances they may face. But you look at Jesus' leadership team that he had gathered, that he was preparing to carry the mission into the future, they were not that impressive. I mean, Jesus gathered with them a group of tax collectors and fishermen, people who tended to bicker among themselves and struggle to understand the mission, and their lives were threatened by persecution. And you look at all that, and you think, wow, with all that, it doesn't seem like it would be very long before the movement that Jesus started would crumble, especially when you consider the fact that Jesus, being the founder, left the scene. He left that ragtag group in charge. It did not look very promising from a human perspective. But we have to understand that Christianity does not operate on a purely human level. And today we're going to see what God did to establish and launch his mission through the church that would go on to not only survive, but to thrive, and in fact, to change the world, change the course of human history. I invite you to turn on the Bible this morning to Acts chapter 2. And if you're using a Bible that's from the pew, Acts 2 is found on page 1096. Now, all around us, there is doubt and confusion about the church. Even within churches, among Christians at times, you can find, find confusion about what is the purpose of the church. And so that points to the purpose of our current sermon series that is about the origin of the church. Because it's very helpful to go back to see what was God's original purpose for the church 
because that can help us to see what God wants to do in and through the church today. Now, let me review for us what we've seen so far in the church's origin story. Let's start with Jesus' crucifixion. Because when Jesus was crucified for his followers, it seemed as if his mission had failed. I mean, to any human observer, it would seem like, okay, the Jesus movement is done. But then Jesus was resurrected. And then it was game on. Once again, we saw in the opening verses of Acts that he commissioned his disciples saying that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so he's saying this message about Jesus is going to extend throughout the entire globe. But then Jesus told them, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. He said, wait until then. Because when you, when you receive the Holy Spirit, then you will receive power to fulfill my mission. And then Jesus gave this instruction and he ascended into heaven. And so the founder left the scene. And the disciples then were waiting in Jerusalem. So they're waiting. One day passed. Two days passed. Now they did not really know what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit showed up. Jesus said he would come. And he said that when the Holy Spirit comes, they will receive power. Now the Greek word for this power is dunamis, from which we get the words like dynamite and dynamic. And so it's going to be a power, a supernatural power that would come upon them. But they didn't know what this was going to be like. So three days passed. Four days. Five. Six days you think, if you were one of the disciples, at what point would you start to get kind of antsy? At what point may you begin to doubt or worry that you missed the signal that it's time to go? Seven days. Eight days. Nine. And then on the tenth day, it happened. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, where it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. We're going to pause there for now. Now, there is a lot going on in this passage. We're going to try to unpack it today. But I want to start by giving us a brief history lesson on the Jewish calendar. Now, when you hear that, you, your mind might think, okay, time to start daydreaming. I'll come back in a few minutes when it gets more exciting. But stick with me here because it helps us understand what is happening in this event. So first of all, let's start in the part of the calendar that includes Passover. Passover was a part of a festival called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. At Passover, Jews remembered that time long before in their history when the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And God told them to take a lamb and to sacrifice that lamb and to put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of their house. And then they would be spared from destruction. 
And so at Passover, they remembered when God passed, when, when the angel of destruction passed over them because of the blood of that lamb. Now, Jesus was crucified during Passover. And from God's perspective, this timing was intentional, showing that Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb whose sacrifice and whose blood can spare us from destruction. Now, after Passover, if you look at the calendar, after Passover, seven weeks, which is 49 days, would pass. And then would come the Feast of Weeks on the 50th day after Passover. And the Feast of Weeks, it focused on thanking God after the harvest of grain in Israel was done. So it was basically a harvest festival thanking God. Now put a mental bookmark in your mind about this theme of harvest. We're going to come back to it a little bit later this morning. Okay, here's the next step in this brief history lesson. I, I promise it'll be brief. Pentecost means 50th. And the day of Pentecost is another name for the Feast of Weeks on the 50th day after Passover. Now, for people living back then, all the stuff just was part of their culture. It would just be common sense to them. For us, it may not make as much sense, but hopefully in your mind, as you're kind of hearing this brief history lesson in the Jewish calendar, some dots are connecting, some light bulbs might be coming on. Pentecost means 50th. There's this, this Feast of Weeks on the 50th day after Passover. And so let's do some math here real quick. After Jesus was resurrected, he remained on earth for 40 days. And then he ascended to heaven. And then 10 days later came the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. So you do some math. 40 days plus 10 days is 50 days. Pentecost means 50th. So God timed Jesus' death to correspond with Passover, and then he timed the coming of the Holy Spirit to correspond with the Feast of Weeks. And there's deep symbolism there. Now for the Feast of Weeks, and this is going to help us, I think, even more, even if all that rest of the stuff seemed to kind of go over your head, you're thinking it's too early in the morning for all this math and all this history. This, this is valuable to understand. I think it's quite understandable. For the Feast of Weeks, all Jewish males were expected to gather in Jerusalem. And so hundreds of thousands of Jews poured into the city, many from very far away. And this is why Acts 2.5 says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now it's not literally every nation. There were not North and South Americans there. I don't know of any Chinese or Australians who were there. But it does refer to the fact that there were people from every place where Jews lived at that point in history who were gathered there in Jerusalem. So I want you to imagine with me what this would be like. It's morning. They're in Jerusalem. And people are gathered from all over the place. In the Jewish temple there in Jerusalem the morning service has just finished. And worshipers, crowds of them, are filling the temple and filling the streets. And there's a spirit of excitement and anticipation, even electricity in the air. Because people are excited about the feast that's going to come up a little bit later that day. I mean, I think about what Port Washington is like in the morning of fish day. As there's anticipation and excitement about what's going to happen very soon. 
So there's excitement, there's anticipation, there are crowds everywhere. And all of a sudden they hear this noise, this like a mighty wind, a windstorm blowing through the air. You may have heard or maybe you've experienced even how a tornado sounds like a freight train coming through. That was the type of sound that they would have heard. And that sound of the wind localized onto one house. It was kind of weird though, because even though it sounded like wind, the air was calm. So it certainly had their attention. And again, that sound of that wind localized on one particular house there in Jerusalem. And so the crowds were drawn toward that house to see what in the world is going on here. And as they near that house, they see tongues of fire flying through the air, at least what looks like tongues of fire, over and around that house. And what this means is that the Holy Spirit arrived in a dramatic way. And the Holy Spirit is God. You think of the Trinity. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. And Jesus had sent the Holy Spirit to empower his followers just as he promised. And this is all part of the church's origin story. I mean, I think about origin stories. Think about the origin stories of superheroes. You know, in the comics and the movies. Oftentimes they have superpowers, and origin stories help us understand where those superpowers came from. For instance, Peter Parker is bit by a radioactive spider, and that changes his DNA, and he becomes Spider-Man. Or you get this boy who is born on the planet Krypton, and that planet, uh, Krypton, gives him superhuman powers. He moves to planet Earth, and uses those powers to become Superman. Now these are fictional stories, fictional characters, but the church is real, and God is real, and he has endowed the church with superpowers through the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost shows us the origin story of when that power came upon God's people. Verses 4 through 6 say that those 120 Christ followers who were gathered there in that place, they, quote, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, to give us the rest of today's passage and to help us experience the spirit of Pentecost, I want to show now a video that was made by a church in San Diego. So take a look at the screen. This is Acts 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues Mr. Oswald and Hooker 
Chodník a malá protože každý z nich je slyšel mluvit svou vlastní řečí. Jopatmake Leute aus Mesopotamien und Kappadozien. Aus Pontus und aus Isn't it beautiful to hear the scripture read in all these other languages? I mean, to me it is. You can't really understand many of them. I can't. I know English, not much else. But I think it's beautiful. It's a glimpse of Pentecost and it's a glimpse even of heaven. Now the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus' followers to preach about Jesus in many languages. Verses 7 and 8 say, The crowds were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now, if you want another strike against Jesus' followers, another part of the improbability of this leadership team that Jesus created, it's that they were Galileans. Back then, the people who were from Galilee were seen kind of as the country bumpkins of Israel. They're kind of the backwoods people, the people who are unsophisticated, people who are uneducated. That was the view of Galileans back then. Yet here were these Galilean followers of Jesus speaking wonders about God in all kinds of different languages. Now, I think it's a valid question to ask, well, why did God do all this stuff? I mean, this dramatic stuff, the wind and the fire and the speaking other languages. Well, God wanted to get people's attention about Jesus by showing that he, God, was at work. I want you to imagine with me for a minute that you go to Fiserv Forum and you try to go into the locker room there at Fiserv Forum. They probably aren't going to let you in, are they? No. Nah. But imagine as you're standing outside that locker room door, not allowed to go in, that Giannis comes and he puts his hand on your shoulder and he says, hey, she's with me. He's with me. Think you're going to let, get let into the locker room then? Probably so. Probably so. Because the presence and the approval of Giannis makes all the difference in the world in that. And it's the same with God here in Acts chapter 2. It's like God coming and saying to those crowds there, hey, these people, they are with me. Listen to them. And that's essentially what is happening here. Verse 3 says that tongues as of fire appeared to Jesus' followers and rested on each one of them. And throughout the Bible, fire represents the presence of God. I mean, when God appeared to Moses in the desert... What form did he take? A burning bush of fire. When God led Israel 
through the wilderness during the Exodus, what form did he take? A pillar of fire. Fire is a sign of God's presence. And so at Pentecost, this, these flames, these tongues as a fire represented the presence of God. It's clearly wants people to listen to what Jesus' followers have to say. And what were they saying in all those different languages to that crowd? Well, in verse 11, the crowd says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, we don't know for sure what those mighty works were that they were saying, but I, I think there's a strong reason to believe that they were telling stories about Jesus. Because you think about what Jesus said, that you will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. He says, you will be my witnesses telling people about me. Yet the crowd was still confused. I mean, you think about it. Their minds were probably spinning, trying to figure out what is all this is taking place right here. In fact, verses 12 and 13 in Acts 2 say, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Basically meaning, they're just drunk. And so it shows, you know, some people will always refuse to take things seriously. And they will resort to mocking or to joking. But God wanted to get people's attention about Jesus. And so then Peter stepped up and he began to give some very detailed teaching about Jesus. We're going to next week look into the content of what Peter taught about Jesus. But today we are focusing on the spiritual power that God has given his people to represent Jesus. So as we wrap up, I want to apply this passage to, for us with a warning, a prayer request, and a note of encouragement. First of all, the warning. And the warning, as we talk about this topic of spiritual power, is to beware of depending on human efforts to build the church. Beware of depending on human efforts to build the church. I mean, our society loves self-sufficiency. In many ways, we, we love strategies, we love plans, we love to depend on our own power and our strength and our own skills and our own wisdom and ideas. And these things can be very good, but we need to make sure that we are not depending on those things to accomplish God's purposes. I mean, church leaders can go out there and, and buy kits that offer five guaranteed steps to grow your church. Or you can buy kits that offer eight steps to make disciples better. I mean, there are all kinds of strategies and all kinds of tools out there that, again, can be good, but we need to make sure that we are not depending on those things as the way to lead people to Christ, the way to transform people's lives, the way to grow numerically a church. Because changing people's lives and building a church is a matter of ultimately God working. We have a role in that. You know, skills and strategies, creativity and passion, God gives us those things. But we need to make sure that we are depending on Him. Because spiritual growth is a spiritual process. That's why Jesus said to His disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, hey, go now. He said, wait, because He's saying, you need power from the Holy Spirit. You need more than just strategies, more than just passion, more than just good, a good message to declare. You need spiritual 
power. It's only available by the Holy Spirit. This same dynamic is why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Spiritual growth is a spiritual process. And this calls for humility and a conscious dependence on God. Because if we are not intentionally depending on God, we're inevitably going to be depending on ourselves. And so we need to be aware of depending on human efforts to build the church. Again, strategies and planning and and employing skills and such, those are good. And that's biblical. But at the same time, we need to do so out of a spirit of dependence on God. Now, let me share then a prayer request. And this ties in to that warning. The prayer request is to pray that people will come to faith in Christ. Prayer prayer is a key aspect of depending on God. Prayer is essentially a declaration of dependence. If we find that we are not praying very much, that probably will indicate that we are not depending on God very much. And that can be kind of convicting, but it's quite true. But Acts chapter 2 shows a powerful illustration of the Holy Spirit at work. And we see that the Holy Spirit there is softening people's hearts and turning people to Jesus. If you have a Bible open, look with me to near the end of the chapter, to verse 37. It says that after Peter's sermon, it says that when these crowds heard this teaching about Jesus, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I think about this idea of being cut to the heart. This is a powerful phrase. It means that they were convicted, that they were moved, that they were compelled to know, what what should we do? We can't just hear this information and do nothing. There's something we need to do in response. And I think about how too many times people hear about Jesus, but their response is, um, eh, yeah, whatever. They just kind of move on about their lives. Not really taking that message about Jesus to heart. That indicates a hardness of heart. We cannot change people's hearts. And when we can try to be persuasive, we can try to illustrate the gospel, we can share our own testimonies of our faith in Christ, but we don't have the power to change people's hearts. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit will soften people's hearts and draw them to Jesus. And we see here that a large number of people in Jerusalem were cut to the heart, and they ask, what shall we do? They feel like we need to do something in response. So Peter points them to Jesus. Points them to trusting Jesus, repenting of their sins. And in verse 41 of Acts 2, it says that about 3,000 people that day came to faith in Jesus. I mean, that is amazing. Talk about the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. It's still a relatively small number of the total proportion of people in Jerusalem, the hundreds of thousands, but still 3,000 people in one day came to faith in Christ. Now think back to the meaning of the Feast of Weeks, which they were there in Jerusalem to celebrate. Remember that theme, that mental bookmark I told you to make? Harvest. The Feast of Weeks celebrates a harvest. And that then is a metaphor at Pentecost for a spiritual harvest of people coming to faith in Christ. 
And Pentecost then launched a larger harvest, which continues today. There's such rich imagery and symbolism that God tied into in in, in Jewish history for the work that he was doing through Jesus in the early church. There's a harvest that God wants to do. And we're to pray for that harvest of people coming to faith in Christ. And this idea of a spiritual harvest is so important for churches today for many different reasons. But one reason is that for many churches, in fact, for most churches, 80% of the growth is what is called transfer growth. Transfer growth is when you get Christians transferring from one gospel-centered church to another. Now, transfer church or transfer growth is not necessarily evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. You don't need God to work to grow a church by transfers. All you need is maybe a nice church building or really cool music or great children's programs or or more friends who go to that church who are inviting others, hey, come to my church, come to my church. Or many times a church can grow because a church down the street is having a lot of problems. That leads to people leaving one church and going over to another church. And to be sure, there are appropriate reasons at times to change churches. But at the same time, a real movement of God involves people coming to know Christ. And sometimes when I hear people at a church that's, that's growing in big ways, saying, you know, God's really at work here. Sometimes there's that part of me that gets a little bit skeptical. Because just because people, Christians are transferring one, from one church to another, that does not automatically mean that it's God at work. But one surefire sign that God is at work are when people are actually coming to faith in Jesus. That is when the kingdom of God is truly expanding. And that's when we have the spirit of Pentecost at work. It's when the Holy Spirit is moving in such a way that's drawing people to faith in Jesus. So pray that people will come to faith in Christ. I want to give you, in fact, a specific uh, topic or area to be praying about in that regard here at Freedens. Here at Freedens, we have actually quite a lot of people who are connected on a regular basis to our church who are not actively following Christ, who may not even identify as Christians. And I'm thinking of people who are connected to things like our playgroup on Wednesday mornings or our Ignite Children's Ministry on Thursday afternoons or our midweek student ministry on, on Wednesday evenings. I may have said Ignite was on Wednesday. It's on Tuesday afternoons. But we have so many people who are connected with these ministries. We have other things like that going on as well. Grief Share, for instance. Many people who are connected to ministries and activities here in the church who are not actively following Christ. But they're connected because they like what's happening there. They're sending their children there. These are some people to specifically be praying for. That God will work through these activities and work in these people's lives to create a spiritual harvest of people coming to faith in Christ. So that is one specific topic to be praying about. Praying that people will come to faith in Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to be at work for that to happen. Now let me give an encouragement as well. The encouragement is that God is working, is growing his church immensely around the globe. Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The cool thing about Pentecost is that, that as people went back home from Jerusalem after that festival was over, there were many who were taking the gospel back to other places where people had not heard of Jesus at all. And this began the process of spreading the gospel. Let me show you a map that shows where people came from to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And this also then shows that throughout the Mediterranean basin, where they took, took the gospel back to. So this began the fulfillment of the Great Commission of spreading the gospel to all people. And it's continued ever since then. I mean, it continues um, to this day. We may get discouraged sometimes as we look at, our, at the world today, especially at the church in America. Many people doubting and, and confused about the church. Even numbers of people involved in church are decreasing in America and in Europe. That may be discouraging to us. But one thing to be encouraged by is that the church, the gospel, is expanding greatly in other parts of the world, especially in places like South America and Africa and Asian countries like China and India and South Korea. The gospel is expanding in massive ways in other parts of the world. And that is something that we can be excited about. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he is most certainly doing that. So as we close, I want us to hear from Jesus again, who is the founder of our Christian movement. Matthew 9 says that as he was traveling through towns and villages, he saw crowds of people. And it says that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers into his harvest field. We're to pray for workers in the harvest field. And we can be part of the answer to that prayer. Because we can be workers in God's harvest field. As we represent and witness to the resurrected Christ. And point people around us to him. So let's pray that people around us will come to faith in Jesus. And that we will be equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. To fulfill his mission of making him known in making disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us power, that we are not dependent on our own strength, our own strategies. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of smart people, a lot of capable people here at Freedoms and in your church around this globe. But Lord, you don't leave us to fulfill your mission on our own strength and our own wisdom or our own power. You send the Holy Spirit to empower us and Lord, I pray that we will be dependent on you. That yes, you do give us skills and wisdom and strategies. And we're called to employ those faithfully. But to do so not out of self-sufficiency, but spirit sufficiency. Depending on him. And so Lord, I pray that you will work in us and through us. Keep us humble, Lord. Keep us dependent on you. But I pray that you will be delighted to work through us here at Freedom's Church. And work through the body of Christ throughout Port Washington throughout Wisconsin, throughout America, and throughout this globe so that more and more people will come to King Jesus, submit their lives to him so the gospel will spread. And Lord, I pray that we will find joy as your spirit works through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.